0: She
1: Let's take our Bibles, turn to the book of Romans today, Romans chapter 10. We're going to begin reading verse 1, then we're going to skip down and read a few other verses, but we want to take just a few moments today before we take up our offering. We'll have a challenge here. We don't want to spend a lot of time today uh, wasting time, so we're going to get right to things, and then we're going to end in time to uh, pass out cards if they're necessary. Obviously, many of you probably still have yours from last week, and then we'll go ahead and collect those up. Then this afternoon or this evening, uh, we'll mention uh, where we're at with that. We'll get a total at the end of the night, that kind of thing, and see where we're at on our uh, missions. Uh, but uh, our missions—I uh, say budget because that's what we end up doing—is budgeting it all out. But our missions uh, uh, giving. So we're looking forward to that. Let's go ahead though for the time being and focus our attention in Romans chapter 10 beginning verse 1. Let me read that and uh, you read silently with me if you would please. The Bible says, "Brother, in my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved." Uh, then we go down to uh, verse 9 and uh, the apostle under inspiration of the Holy Spirit says, "That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. But there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not Believe. How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. In our passage in chapter 10, we are hearing from the apostle Paul. He's writing to the church, of course, at Rome, and he says there in verse one, "Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved." We know that he himself was an an Israelite, if you will. He, uh, his people, therefore, were the people, the Jews. And in this particular verse, he says, "My heart's desire, my prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved." He had a great longing. He had a great passion, a great burden for the souls of his people. And then he goes on, we see here uh, in the next verses, uh, how that's going to take place. He basically begins a dissertation on salvation. He begins to share with us how those people, his people, not only his people, but even the the Gentile could be saved. And in verse 9, he continues on, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. And so he goes on to share this simple plan, this simple means by which we can be saved, by which his people, Israel, can be saved. Now, he had a great passion for his people, a tremendous passion, even a passion that we ought to have for the people here in our area, our community, our, our, our national people, Americans. We ought to want to see America saved. We ought to see, want to see people saved in our communities. That ought to be our heart's desire and our longing to see people come to Jesus Christ. And that's what the Apostle Paul wanted for his people, the Jew. And so he begins to share later on in the chapter now how that takes place and, and, and how they can be saved. If someone ever hopes to escape the consequences of their sin, if they ever hope to escape the fiery torment of hell, then they must accept Christ by faith. They must accept Him as payment for their sin and only hope of salvation. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus To confess means to, with the mouth, the Lord Jesus, simply means to basically agree with God that Christ is who he claimed to be, that he is indeed Messiah, he is Lord, he is Savior, he is God in flesh. He goes on to say, "And shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Listen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ provides us proof positive that he is deity, that he is God, that he has authority over the universe as creator. No resurrection, no salvation. Right, amen. And if one rejects the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if one does not confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus that he rose from the dead, then one cannot be saved. Because without the power of the resurrection, there is no power to resurrect the lost soul. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Again, note the connection between the heart of faith and righteousness. Without that heart of faith, there is no righteousness. No matter how much we try, no matter how many leaves we turn over, a new leaf here, a new leaf there, no matter how many times we change direction and course in our life, it'll never be enough. It'll never produce righteousness in our lives it's not enough to know the truth we must believe the truth receive the truth belief faith is the key so what does it mean to believe then well believe means to trust to depend upon to rely upon the Lord Jesus Christ that's as simple as it is see the essence of faith is simple trust It's possible to believe all about a person without really trusting in them. You can, you can know about a person. You can, you can uh, know everything that they've done in the past, what they could possibly, their, their, their potential is, but that doesn't mean you're trusting them. Matter of fact, they may give you reason not to if you know them that well. But you know what? We can know and believe that Jesus Christ is fully divine. We, we, we can know that He is the second person of the Trinity. He's the Father, of that, that Trinity Father, Son, Holy Ghost. We can know that He's the Son, the second person of that. We can believe that He came to earth to die for us and for the sin of the world. We can believe that if we trust in Him, if we, we do that, then we will be saved and can be saved. However, it's not enough to know all those things. It's not enough unless we trust Him. There has to be trust. I can know everything about Christ. I can know that he loves me. and I can know that he died. I can know that he rose. I can know that he'd me if I cried out and asked him. But that's not enough until I actually trust him. Knowledge is not what's needed. Trust and faith is. The knowledge comes, but then there must be an exercising of faith. James warns us of the fact that even demons believe and tremble says in the book of James, chapter 2, verse 19, Thou believest that there's one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. So I believe in God. That's not enough to get to heaven. I believe Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. That's not enough to get to heaven. You can believe all the facts. You can know all the things necessary to be saved and still be lost. You must personally put your trust in Him. Exercise your faith. By calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Being saved is not simply trusting the Lord Jesus Christ with your life's needs. You ever pray? Yeah, I pray all the time. You've ever been saved? Oh, the Lord saved me a lot of heartache and a lot of trouble. And I, My child got sick once and I prayed and God... God healed him and I pray that that my husband is safe to work in the midst of the snow and the sleet and the hail and I pray that my children are safe at school and I I pray that that God will meet our needs financially and I pray that God will raise us off that bed of affliction in the hospital and I pray that when I go there for surgery that he'd meet my need and protect me and watch over me and guide the doctor's hands. That's all wonderful, but that's not being saved. That's not being saved. We need to trust God not for our daily needs to be saved. We need to trust God with our inherent sin. We need to trust him for forgiveness, for salvation. Saving faith is trusting Jesus Christ and him alone for eternal life. It's it's not about trusting him and doing something. Trusting him and living a good enough life. Trusting him and the good outweighing the bad. It's about trusting him. That's as simple as it is. It's about putting your faith in his finished work, not in yours, not in mine. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, he gave the following illustration. He said, suppose there was a fire on the third floor of a house and there was a child trapped in the upper room. There he was on the third floor, standing outside the window, crying out for help. A very huge, very strong man stands on the ground beneath the window and The poor child's crying out for fear, afraid, and he calls out to the child and he says, Jump! Jump! Simply jump into my arms! It's a part of faith, he says, to know that the man's there. Still another part of faith to believe him to be a strong man. But the essence of faith lies in trusting him fully and ultimately dropping into his arms. See, it's not the amount of faith either that reconciles us to God. It's simply what or who we're putting our faith in. I've told the story a number of times, but if you could with me, just imagine two different bridges crossing a flooded river. The first is an old bridge. It's made up of very solid timbers, but has been replaced by a, a big old concrete, modern bridge. But unknown to everyone is that there's a very serious flaw in that concrete. A car arrives at the river and the driver, of course, looks at the two bridges and seeing the very sturdy-appearing concrete bridge begins to make his way with great faith across the bridge. But because there is a flaw in the concrete, it crashes to the ground. Another driver comes along in his car and he sees that old bridge there, certainly constructed with some pretty sturdy wood but very old and makes him a little bit uneasy. And there with fear and trepidation, he makes his way across that bridge safely the one had great faith in a bridge that ultimately collapsed the other had very little faith but arrived safely on the other side may i say to you it's not the amount of faith that you possess it is the fact that you exercise what faith you have in jesus christ that you simply believe in the Lord Jesus, that you allow His shed blood and broken body to be payment for your sin. You cry out for mercy and invite Him into your life, invite Him into your heart and receive Him as Savior and Lord. No one, nothing else added to it. Only Him. Only Him. Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm glad that we have a whosoever salvation. I mean, no one's denied the opportunity to be saved. No one told that they're not good enough, that no one is told that they're not worthy of it because in reality, none of us are worthy. The fact is, is that he is worthy and because he is worthy, we can be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That word shall denotes present tense. Shall. That means that when you call on the Lord, you will this very moment be saved. This very moment. But I want you to notice also, it says shall be saved. The the verb be is added, shall be. The verb be is added in order to express the infinite. Think about that for a minute then. When the Bible says, therefore, it says, shall be saved, it literally means that when you call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be saved that very moment. You're going to be saved tomorrow. You're going to be saved next month. You're going to be saved next week. You'll be saved next year and even for all eternity. So shall be saved. I'm saved today. I'm saved tomorrow. I'm saved next year. And I'm saved forever. Shall be saved. We simply call, and he saves, both now and forever. Following this wonderful road map to salvation, the Apostle Paul now asks a series or battery of questions. The first question he asks then is found in verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Now, verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone gets saved the same way. It doesn't matter where you live in America or where you live overseas. Every human being, every creation of God is saved the exact same way. If we fail to call upon him, then we are lost and headed to hell. I don't care where you were born. I don't care whether you had, uh, knew who your dad or your mom was. It doesn't matter whether you grew up in a group home or you grew up in a nucleus of a family, father, mother, children. doesn't matter if it was a broken home. doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what you are. You need saved the exact same way, by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? Number two. He goes on to say, How shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? Number three. How shall they hear without a preacher. And finally, number four, how shall they preach except they be sent? The questions are very practical questions, commonsensical questions. They're very thought-provoking questions. May I say to this morning that to each of those questions the same answer applies. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Answer: They won't. How shall they believe on in him of whom they have not heard? Answer: They won't. How shall they hear without a preacher? Same answer, they won't. And how shall they preach except they be sent? They won't. Well, then we have a real dilemma. Because the reality is, according to the passage, if they never hear, if they never believe, if they never call, then they will never be saved. You heard the gospel. You believed the gospel. You called upon the name of the Lord and you were saved. But the problem is, how then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? So the fact is they will never hear, never believe, or call on him except they be sent. Who are the they? Folks like you and I. Who ultimately go into our community, into our county, into our country and provide the the lost with the word of God. Who are they? They're men and women like you and I who ultimately hear the cry of God and the call of God on our life. Like our brother to Argentina said, although I'm pastoring a church in a local area, God has pressed upon me the need to go to another nation and to proclaim the gospel to a people who have never heard. Except they be sent. Although Gallup polls and other statisticians have estimated about 40% of the population attend church regularly. That's a number that hasn't changed over the last or past 70 years, they claim. However, you say 40%, that's pretty good. Going to church on a regular, consistent basis, that's pretty good. It does sound pretty good overall. However, David Olson, director of the American Church Research Project, he's done a little bit of his own research. As a matter of fact, he has research that's based uh, on a national database of over 200,000 churches. His research paints quite a different and desperate picture concerning America's weekly church habits. Olson's findings reveal that the actual rate of church attendance from headcounts now Actual headcounts is less than half of the 40% that the pollsters report. He claims that the number from actual counts of people in Orthodox Christian churches, re- 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 referring to Catholic, mainline, and evangelical churches, shows that in 2004, 17.7% of the population attended a Christian church on any given weekend. 17.7%. Now, I, I don't know about you, and I, I, I'm going to give you a reason why they believe that the pollsters, the 40%, is so unbelievably different than 17.7%. we are going to give you a real reason why, a scientific one. However, I'm just going to give you a very practical one. I'll be honest with you. Knocking on doors in our area, I can't believe that there's 40% of people going to church weekly because everybody I talk to says, we don't go. And we've knocked on thousands and thousands of doors. Just this last promotion, we knocked on well over six or 8,000 doors. Just this last time, we sent out flyers to over 10,000. Let me tell you something. We've been in our community and we've talked to people. And may I tell you, 40% aren't going regularly consistently to church. So how or why is there such a great disparity in these numbers? It is believed that the reason why there seems to be such a disparity in the numbers is to do, due to a phenomenon called the halo effect. What that means is the halo effect is simply this: it is the difference between what people tell pollsters and what people actually do. See, Americans tend to overreport socially desirable behavior like voting and attending church, and they underreport underreport socially undesirable behavior like drinking. So if I go and I say, you know, how many times, you know, how often do you attend church? Uh, I'm regular, pretty regular, consistent. How often? Weekly, monthly, yearly? Eh, weekly. I'm a good person. How often do you drink? Weekly, monthly, yearly? Oh monthly? Yearly, maybe? They tend to overreport socially acceptable things and under report socially undesirable things. That's the halo effect. And that's why they believe there's such a disparity between Olson's numbers and Gallup's numbers. Makes perfect sense to me. Olson explains that while church attendance numbers have stayed about the same from 1990 to 2004, the U.S. population has grown by 18.1%. So what we find is that basically over the last 15 or 20 years, the the numbers of those attending church is the same. The problem is we've grown by 50 million in America, almost 20%. Therefore, we're not reaching people. Listen, we are facing a declining church population and also facing an increasing national population. See, there are more people than ever that need to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, there are fewer folks than ever dawning the doors of churches in America. And that doesn't even include churches that have or share the gospel. We're just talking in general. If you imagine with me for just a moment, 17.7% of Americans going to church regularly. How many of those, when it includes Catholic, and it includes uh, New Evangelical, and it includes all these different... Stripes of ministry in churches and denominations. How many of them are really hearing a clear presentation of the gospel and giving a clear invitation to the gospel? Says, you putting churches down? No, I'm telling you, any church that doesn't give the gospel out doesn't make it clear and concise and very, very crystal clear. And doesn't give opportunity for those in that church to receive and accept that Savior, Jesus. They might as well be writing out one way tickets to hell. People don't catch the gospel by accident. They get it on purpose. And except they be sent, they will never hear. They will never believe. And they will never call. And no one gets to heaven any other way than through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We are in a position today as a church To be a part of the sending process. Except they be sent. They will never hear. They will never believe. And they will never receive and call on the name of the Lord. You say, that shouldn't be, that's not all our responsibility. I mean, we got a bunch of churches. Everybody ought to share it. Well, I'm glad that although there were a number of dads in the neighborhood I grew up in, I'm glad that my dad decided to take responsibility for his. You know what? There's only one church here today and the call is the same to us as it is every church. May we not drop the ball because we think someone else should pick it up. Right. Amen. It's our responsibility to do all that we can because except they be sent, men, women, boys, and girls are going to miss the gospel and ultimately miss heaven. May God help us today as believers to understand that salvation is a narrow road. It is not broad. and It doesn't include and incorporate all faiths and beliefs. It simply is one person, Jesus Christ. And there is no other way but through him. And except they be sent, no one will hear No one will believe, and no one will call. God, help us as a church to do our part, even starting today. Father, we come to you. We thank you so much, Father, for your word. And Father, we thank you so much, Father, for the simplicity of the gospel.